Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by the ongoing question of whether or not Christina and I still have our blue check marks this fine 420. <laughs> I'm Simone de Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm joined today by Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub. How are you doing, Christina? Are you are you verified? Do you feel verified? I'm still verified, but this is going to be like Schrodinger's verification thing. Like, like, does it exist or does it not? Like, and it's weird because it's still showing me as, as notable in the government news, entertainment, or other designated category thing. Wow. That's on the desktop. On the mobile app, it's like, you're either legacy or you paid us. But. Okay, this is interesting. So I, on the the desktop app, I uh, am verified because I'm subscribed to Twitter Blue or because I'm a legacy verified account. I'm the latter. Uh, I do not know what it says on mobile because uh, my iPad is charging and I can't reach it. It's behind my bed. So Christina and I, listeners, we're recording this early, the morning of 420. And it has been publicized that after failing to remove Twitter users' legacy blue check marks on April 1st, April Fool's Day, the day of the April Fool's, that Twitter will finally be doing so today, 420. Now, last time this happened, I, foolishly, perhaps, no, I stand by my decision. I placed a bet with our very own Christina Warren. <laughs> yeah, you did. A, a low ball bet. Uh, <laughs> ten bucks. Bet. Yeah, ten bucks. We put ten bucks on it. I said they, they would do it, that they would do it on April 1st. And Christina was right. Uh, they did not, in fact, do it. The platform is kind of a a shambling beast of uh, walked back decisions and broken features um, and fun as always and fun and fun as always and, and memes and, and, memes. and, and yeah, because that, that that's honestly the content that we just can't replace anywhere else. There's nothing like it out there. Um, so today, today, okay. Is theoretically the day it will happen again. However, I have, I have changed my tune. <laughs> I think <laughs> after after the failure to uh, to take away the check marks on April 1st and the fact that, again, this is coming out on a meme holiday. I, I no longer believe I no longer have faith in the vision of Twitter leadership. I think that I'm keeping my blue <laughs> check today. However, as we record the show, Christina and I will continue checking in. Mm -hmm. with each other with our feelings and mostly with whether or not we are still of the blue check elite <laughs> i was gonna say this is really what we care about is like are we still deemed special with internet points that no longer have necessarily um i would say like i don't think that they necessarily have a positive value like i think that the, no. the, 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 like like the the the, the, the returns have, have diminished so much that it's now like into negative valued territory like it's amazing what happens in five months, like how someone can literally go from like taking like very, very valuable things and then just utterly like just trashing them a little yeah, bit in, in, in such a short period of time. I have to say like that is um, uh, like the the most that's the most impressive part of all of this to me. The dedication to the bit is 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 what impresses me. Yes. Uh, he may not be our most prolific poster. But he is uh, the most prolific, uh, an actor of chaos in the corporate space. Mr. Musk is, I must say. Uh, I had a final thought on Twitter that I wanted to get out before we move on to our topics today. But I've forgotten. Yes. 
what it is. I've completely forgotten what it is. Um, in which case, I'll just summarize what we're going to talk about today. Wow. Aside from our continual check-ins with Twitter. Oh, it was just that finally I will, you know, I'll live in an equality in my household because, you know, I live in a mixed clout household, oh, even though my yeah. roommate is much funnier than me. She does not have a blue check. Does Grant have a blue check? No. Okay. So you also no. live in a mixed clout household. Like, 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 like he knew that when we got together. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's okay to fall in love with someone who has clout. Like, we're not all cringe and blue-pilled. <laughs> I mean, most of us are cringe, but it's just like, it depends on how cringe you are. I'm pretty cringe. Okay, so what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. today we're going to be talking, uh, as you can see, it's just Christina and I, Brianna is on a beautiful vacation, and we wish her a relaxing time. Christina and I are going to be giving you your regular helping of Christina <laughs> and Simone Chaos. Um, yes! <laughs> we are favorite. going to be talking about a uh, great piece in The Verge about the death of social media, question mark, from Ellis Hamburger, um, kind of following on our thoughts on Twitter from this morning. Then we'll be dipping into Netflix to chat about and eulogize a bit the end of their DVD rental service. Finally, bombshell new information. <laughs> if, if I phrase, I could phrase this a certain way. Bombshell allegations about Taylor Swift and FTX, um, which we'll be discussing at the end of the show. Uh, Taylor Swift, of course, you might remember, was approached to promote FTX back in the day, back before the collapse. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what but, stories and, we have to tell. We, we do. And, and just a reminder on that, too, that both... Uh, Two, we know for sure that two members of the polycule, uh, Sam Bankman Freed and um, what was the girl's name? Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. I don't remember. Car- Caroline? Yeah, Caroline, whatever. Anyway, uh, Ellison, uh, uh, that, that she is uh, not, not not to be confused with, with Larry Ellison's um, um, uh, 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 Nepo baby uh, children. Uh, <laughs> that she, the, the Caroline Ellison, like, was... We know that two members of the polycule are big Swifties because her Tumblr, like, deep, oh yeah, like deep. So back yeah, in so, that day, so, if you were a Tumblr girl, you had to be. I you mean, had to be. I mean, and you, you still you, do in some ways. I mean, honestly, you really do. But but yeah, this is uh uh yeah. Anyway, so we have we have some additional bombshell news on the Taylor Swift FTX connection. <laughs> And uh, for our boosties, our premium subscribers who get an ad-free show um, and uh, support us directly, we're going to be chatting about Succession and also the Dominion and Smartmatic lawsuits against Fox News. So stay tuned after the show, after the credits roll, uh, to hear Christina and I discuss uh, some breaking... Succession uh, some, and some Succession. New- Succession and succession. Succession and succession IRL, uh, which is going to be a fun time. And if you want to learn more about how to access that bonus content, go to relay.fm slash membership and learn how you can support us, too, and get an ad-free show. All right. Is social media dying? A piece by Ellis Hamburger in The Verge about social media growth uh, examines how each social media platform is kind of doomed by its own drive for growth. So Ellis was a reporter at The Verge back in its early days, like 2012, 2014, way before I came to Vox Media myself as a person at Polygon, and then spent seven years at Snap during its very hot years. Uh, So like Other people, such as Cory Doctorow, who have written about uh, social media 
becoming bad. Uh, Dr. O wrote a piece that I think we covered in Wired earlier this year called The Inshification of TikTok, which I just realized now that I've read it out loud for my notes, I have to bleep myself. I, I was going to say, do we though? Like, ah, uh, the inessification in it, E-N. The impoopification of in TikTok. Poop- there, there, there we go. But just use the better word. And it's like, and just because like, if, yeah. Our child listeners will love that. They will find, I think parents, I... I, I I won't swear around your children, but I will introduce them to the word poopification, which I hope that they love. Because <laughs> it's I think very they will funny love. to me. Also, uh, yeah, I'm not going to promise that I won't swear around your children. I'll try not to, but like, if they're that's below what the bleep button age, is for. That's it, what it Jim is, is also, here for. It is what Jim is here for. But also, like, if I ever meet you in person, like, I'll try like to remember there are children around but there's that weird thing where they're below a certain age and they can't repeat everything and they don't know and you can just go with it or like they're above a certain age and you're like i'm i'm not i'm not like censoring myself well that is neither here nor there 10 years old i'm just saying among others identifies a pattern (laughs) the pattern that like so many of these big social media apps have of being free advertising themselves as a place to connect with your friends and your family and your loved ones, uh, but then needing to scale that growth perpetually. And the cycle that Cory Doctorow describes in the Wired pieces, of course, like it starts free, uh, then it becomes appealing to brands and advertisers, and then it kind of uh, all updates and developments to the app kind of cycle back into, oh, now we're not changing this for the users. Now we're changing it for the advertisers. Now we're not changing it for the advertisers. We are changing it to like pull all growth back into our own company um, for our investors who have been promised uh, bonkers things. Essentially, the issue is that because these platforms are free um, and need to please both investors and users, eventually an app that was ephemeral and fun to use and low pressure or, or natural to use will start pressuring you to find ways to engage with it more or to take advantage of its new features uh, that it has created to increase your engagement or reminding you to interact with your friends, etc. The example that Ellis points to in this piece was like getting a, a say happy birthday to your friends notification, which like is on its face a nice thing, but within the context of the app is the app reminding you, hey, log in, hey, log mm-hmm. in and use us, engage with us. Be one of our daily users for the day that will be part of our statistics, part of our data. Yeah, your friend Emily is on TikTok. Follow them. I get that (laughs) one all the time. And I'm like, no. Um, First of all, I don't share my contact information with TikTok uh, or or any company that I can get away from. So I'm like, thanks a lot, Emily, for sharing my number um, with, with them so that they can draw these conclusions. And I'm also like, I know for a fact that like most of us, Emily doesn't post TikTok. And is just there to browse. So why are you telling me this when the whole point of TikTok is that I don't want to see people I know in real life and Mm -hmm. I really don't want them to see me like I'm actually kind of bothered by the fact that I have like people that I know in real life who follow me on TikTok. I'm like, okay, this is now preventing me from creating content on this platform. Can I say one of my least favorite things about TikTok and something that I really, really hope does not come to any of the other apps I use is the feature where when you share a TikTok, it will, when when somebody opens it, it will say, like, do you want to watch this or do you want to follow back the person that shared this with you? I hate that so much. 
<laughs> and as a person who like like I'm on Tumblr anonymously, mm-hmm. and sometimes I will link like Instagram posts to people there. If I had to be careful, if I had to be sure to like link Instagram posts from my like Finsta, my F1 Finsta, rather than from my personal account, because it would say, hey, Doom Quasar shared this with you. Do you want to follow them back when they open the photo before even showing them the photo? That would drive me absolutely bonkers. And I hate, I hate, totally. I hate that TikTok does Yeah, that. I totally agree. I hate that feature too, because I'm like, I don't actually. And and then it was well, two things. One, it's like, I don't, like, like you said, it's like, if I'm anonymous, I don't necessarily want people to know that I've got an account. And two, it then creates this weird, like reciprocal, like feeling where I'm like, well, do I need to follow, you know, yeah. Simone? Like, and I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's kind of like, I know this is a bad analogy, but this does annoy me. And I'm very pro-tipping. I am very anti this, which is this thing like I pie something like at a, at a counter and a non-tipping establishment. We're talking about places where people are, are getting paid $15 an hour or plus. And then when I'm getting checked out like for my fast food or, or whatever, I'm like, would you like to add a tip? And I'm like, okay, well, now I feel very awkward because A, you've opted me into 20%, which I, I'm sorry, but but no, um, that that's that's not how this works. And, uh, you know, if, if I wanted to pay 20% more for every single thing I ever engage with ever, then like that, that's a different conversation, but that's, that, that's not how this works. And two, and like now, but now I'm like, I, I feel like this weird, like social obligation, like, yeah, I feel like the social obligation aspect of it, that, that analogy works, I, I yeah. think for me, um, in Ellis's case, uh, going back to the the piece and my which is so good, yeah, which is yeah, so it's good. quite good. I definitely recommend it. It's in the show notes. Um, for him, the canary in the coal mine at Snapchat was the moment when Snap Stories launched. Of course, the precursor to Instagram. Every stories. stories, every stories, every stories, which was the moment when Snaps Snap changed or Snapchat rather changed from a messaging and sharing messaging platform to a broadcasting platform bringing it in line with bringing its core interaction in line with what uh, most of the social platforms that we're on now are where are like the the new apps that are coming out are maybe more about sharing but a lot of the ones that were originally part of the social media boom like twitter like facebook etc etc are more platforms for broadcasting your information out to as many people as possible. Instagram, certainly, about that. Um, It was also the harbinger, as he points out, of Snapchat turning on advertising, which is part of the poopification described by Doctorow. Uh, You can say something similar about the advent, not just of stories, but of reels especially, and shopping on Instagram, uh, and the question that Ellis ultimately asks in the piece is that someday can social technology be built that treats users, users, that treats people like customers, not of its advertisers, but of the social tech itself, rather than users who need to be manipulated through engagement and tricks and continual treats being dangled in front of them to grow the platform. And that's kind of where my my rambling intro ends which leads us into our rambling discussion. Christina, what what did you think of, I guess, that this piece in general and that specific question? Yeah, I think it was a really good one. I love this. Ellis um, was always one of my favorite writers um, um, for The Verge, and I really missed his writing. And it was really great to, to see it again. And I think especially I, I appreciate his perspective because um, he moved, um, 
you know, from from being a journalist into tech before I did. And and we have different roles. Like he he was doing copywriting where like my work has not been on that kind of side of things. But I think that that gives he was he was a social he was like a, his beat was social media at the verge. Mm-hmm. And so like that's how he got the Snapchat job, I'm assuming, was that he got to know people there and and you know, they were still relatively early, um, was relatively young and 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 offered him a a, a job. Um, you know, they certainly hadn't gone public yet. Um, uh, I don't, I don't believe anyway. And, uh, but, but he covered this space. And so I think this gives him good perspective, both as somebody who had been like a reporter, uh, during, I guess, kind of the halcyon years, and then somebody who lived in it during kind of the rise and then subsequent a little bit of the, like the crash. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciated his perspective and I think it's a really good piece, but I think it is like a really great question, which is like, is there, is, is this all doomed? Like, I, I think that, I think the headline is, is brilliant um because it's just declarative social media is doomed to die and i grapple with this myself because i owe so much of my career Mm -hmm. and uh like even things like this podcast like like so much of my life as it exists today is because of social media yeah unquestionably and so there's a part of me that is very loyal to that in the sense that i a don't want to be uh, like a boomer and dismissive mean like, oh, just because it's not what it was in my day doesn't mean that it's, it's dead and whatnot. But but at the other time, like I feel like a weird, like a little bit of rational loyalty to some of these companies and platforms too, because of how much they've given me. But then when I think about these questions, like in this quest for growth, in this quest for other things, like, is there any way to escape this? I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now at the point now, like like Facebook is um, I think uh, 19 years old this year. Ooh. And right. Right. Ugh. Right. And so that's so we're at the point where and it's interesting, too, because I think that as as a culture, we still treat social media like it's this new thing. And it's not Mm-mm. right. Like we're yeah. now in like third wave social media. Right. Like like if you consider like first wave to be like Friendster, LiveJournal, MySpace, and then you consider a uh, second wave to be Facebook, Twitter, um, Snapchat, and then you consider like YouTube, and then you consider third wave to be like, you know, TikTok and, and, and whatever comes next. Like we're now firmly in kind of a third era of this. And I think you can yeah. see- The short form video era, essentially. The short form video era, for sure. And I think that you can see with that, you can see the the evolution of how this has gone from being this thing where like, I want to share- and have a personal connection with everyone. And that's what's important to me to becoming this I'm broadcasting um, thing to now going to a place where it's not just I'm broadcasting, but um, I might even want to be anonymous, right? Like, yeah, I I think there's kind of a a fork right now that I see um, because with apps like TikTok, I mean, we've described how we're we're essentially – not using it to broadcast. I mean, I've posted some TikToks, but I don't enjoy doing that on my personal account. I do just want to, if I'm on TikTok, I want to browse and not be seen. Um, and we are seeing apps that that do allow you to do that, like Be Real, where it is very locked down to just your, like, a core group of people, uh, like Lock It, um, versus apps like TikTok where it is broadcasting and Instagram now it broadcasting to the maximum amount of people. So I, I do see it as kind of like forked in that way where there are two like completely different paths <laughs> that you can follow. And one is obviously a lot bigger and more easily monetizable. And that is the path of broadcasting um, because that's where you get advertiser money, which as Ellis points out in this piece, like it's a lot 
easier sell as a platform to say we were going to go for advert. We're going to make this advertiser friendly and open up that spigot of funding rather than we're going to find a way to convince people to pay for this. Right. And I do think that that's a really good question because I, I, I found myself asking like what I, I do find social media, uh, even as it is difficult to contend with what a huge part it is of my life at times. I, it's hard for me to imagine life without it. It's hard for me to imagine of going back to other ways, slower ways of staying in contact with the amount of people that I am now used to staying in contact with. Totally. And Ellis asks, like, would we pay for that? And like, w- pay- would you pay $15 a month for Facebook? And the answer, like, obviously, right off the bat, looking at the product that Facebook is for me is no. Right. But what would the version like if I fully accept as I as I maybe should that some form of this online contact is important to me what version of that would I pay for that would feel meaningful setting aside the question of like would everyone I know be able want to and migrate to that platform because that's that is an important part of it absolutely um, is making sure that the people that you care about are there however setting that aside for now because that's the hard and unpredictable part what would that actually look like yeah. No, and I think that's true. And I think the thing is, though, having people pay for it, that's not necessarily going to be enough to keep these things sustainable yeah. and to give these things the growth they need. I mean, I, again, like I'm thinking back live journal, like I had a paid live journal account um, mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. And then I think because I, I was friends with the creator, like he like basically like grandfathered me and or gave me like, you know, permanent premium access or whatever. But like early nice. on, you had to have an invite, which means you had somebody had to invite you or you had to like pay for it. And, um, and, and then they had like additional things where you could pay extra money to get like, I think, I don't know if they had an extra icon, extra name, but like you got like different, like you got like more user picks, which is like their version of avatars. Oh my God. I also paid for live journal. Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. That's just coming back to me now. Holy moly. Right. Okay. Right. Right. But like, but this was the thing. And, and, you know, that was like, such an early proto thing. And like, this was like literally created from a college kid who stayed in college, right. Who didn't do yeah. the thing that Mark Zuckerberg would do just a couple of years later, leave, take all kinds of money. He didn't do that. Um, you know, it was like his, his mom was like doing the accounting, you know, he was like maintaining the servers and then sold it to a, a bigger company who didn't do very well with it. And then they sold it to, you know, mm-hmm. some, some Russians, but like, you know, that was a thing where, early on, you know, he was trying to kind of, I think, grapple with that. Maybe we should try to get Brad on sometime to talk about yeah. early social media. That would actually be fun. Um, uh, let us know, listeners, if, if I should pursue that. Um, but, you know, but you wonder, like, is that going to be enough to to give the returns that these people want? Because, okay, you know, I, and I think this was an Ellis's piece that, you know, Facebook makes something like, like $20 um, or $60 a year from users or something like that. And, and so would you pay that to make it up to make it up to them? And I'm like, I, I don't think that they could even, even if you were to make that, that, that bargain, right. Mm -hmm. Like that deal, I don't know if that is enough, right? Like, even if they could say, okay, we can get every single user to pay us this amount. Like, I don't know if that would solve this growth quest. Like, I don't think, because then the thing is going to be, well, how, how many more people can we sign up and how much more, like, we're going to talk about Netflix in a second, and that is yeah. a service that charges, right? And and they are so so. I I, I don't know, right? Like I, I feel like I th- I, it's I agree. never enough. I, th- I think with the initial like the 
are are big social media platforms now that started as free and made those promises to investors that have now kind of put them in this position of like we need to continue growing or else everyone will like point at our numbers and be like haha you're dying um i i don't think that that is a shift that those platforms could make there could potentially i don't know be something new yeah that that is not making those promises of like sky high we're gonna have five billion users by x although again we've seen those things try we've seen app.net we've seen we've seen attempts of this before and they failed i guess my question is and i and and i don't know what the answer that says but like but let's just say that it's not going to be a failure let's say that you could start instagram today yeah and have a business plan that is aligned with what the original goals of instagram were and um and and people are are agreeing to pay for it, and the comp and it gets big and it becomes popular and people continue to pay for it, even if you don't have investors who are ex- expecting those sorts of growth things. When the company goes public, if if yeah. we're assuming it does, does that? It's not as if those pressures go away. And even mm-hmm. if it's a, a private company, it's like do those pressures and does that chasing for relevancy disappear? Right? Because yeah. I, I I think I have to think about like every business is always looking to grow like just maintaining is it's fine. And and I think it's all fair for us to, to, you know, you know, say decry capitalism, like, Oh no, why can't we just have the status quo? And like, that's a happy thought like that, 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 that's a nice thought, but that's just completely unrealistic with how the world works. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, most people, even in their own lives are not content to just like stay in the same place. Mm-hmm. Like we're just, it's not, not how we're conditioned. So I just, I wonder if even if these, some of these growth levers went away because you didn't have like investors to pay back, like would there still be some other pressure there and would these things still evolve? So I kind of wonder like, is and would there any way to stay interested? Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. Which is a great point too, because I mean, again, we're mentioning now like, like Facebook is 19 years old, which just realizing that is just doing things to me. <laughs> and, you know, so we're, we're now reaching this point where like, the the next generation of social media users will never have known a, a world without it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it. Even by like the, the terms of like modern social media that we talk about, like I'm not talking about like MySpace, Friendster, LiveJournal, I'm talking about like, like the, the big ones, right? So like the, yeah. the, the kids who are like, you know, 13 year old, 13 years old now. So they're old enough to get, get accounts on these services now, even though we know yep, younger people are on them too, have never known a world without these things. Yep. 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 And, and so, what how how do you keep them engaged and how do you how do how do these things evolve you know like i i I, so i wonder if these growth things that people come up with and and it's not unique to just social media i mean you can see it in journalism and other things too even in software it's like there's always this thing like how do you keep people coming back how do you keep them sustained you know how how do you keep make something beloved and it's like there are only so many hbo's in the world that can have, you know, 25 plus years of just absolutely killing it every Sunday night, you know, and just like, and even yeah. they've had lulls, right? Even they've had like periods of time when they were like, oh man, and instead of giving Deadwood another season, we decided to do the show about the horses and then all the horses kept dying and we had to shut the show down. Like there's, <laughs> ah! <laughs> that's a real thing that actually Wait, what happened. what show was that? It was Louis, I think it was called. Oh, okay. Uh, but, but not to be confused with the Louis C.K. one. Yeah, so, yeah. So it might have been, Lucky Louis, I think it was called. Okay, I'll uh, look that but, up. That's But bonkers. it was, uh, yeah. Um, it, no, you, yeah, you've, you've raised a good point, which is like, 
I definitely with a lot of these platforms like Instagram, I, I do follow a lot of friends and stuff on Instagram, but the thing that might keep me coming back to the platform, my, my friends, beloved as they are, might not be doing the most interesting thing or posting the most interesting photo every day. The thing that keeps me coming back is reading the uh, terrible poetry that the Instagram, the influencer I hate follow is posting yes. or like seeing, I guess, in, you know, what, what BS are the F1 drivers posting? Same with mm -hmm. Twitter. Like it's not necessarily your friend's tweets. It's what's that very funny person that you've never heard of before that's been retweeted into your timeline. What bonkers thing have they said? What's the bean dad of the day? Yep. So yeah, I, I think that you're, I, I think you're right that it's it would be difficult to fully commit to like a, a, a large scale platform that would be family and friends and paid, et cetera, because I I honestly I think it would get boring. And no, it would. I mean, there was one. It was called Path. Oh, and, and quick correction, the show it was not Lucky Louie. That was also a Louis C.K. show. It was called Luck, which just that's luck. Which is iron ironic since it was That's, an incredibly yeah. unlucky show. Um, but no, but you're right. But there was a, there was an app called Path, and Path was famous because Dave Morin, who I think he had worked at Facebook, um, he left to, to or Google one of those. He left to to join his his a. Uh, um, his wife did a Britain co, which was like big for a while, but, but path was this whole thing. It was like only 25 people. You could only follow 25 people. That was it. And it oh was boy. just like, you're, and it was just like your yeah. own circle of people and you post things too. And like, people got very into it. And then I remember there was like a profile with Dave where he like had his day phone and his night phone, which was just, the thing is, that's just a discord server. It is a Discord server. You're not wrong, but it, but it was an app that was designed in these other ways. But 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 to your point, you know, and I think Discord that's an interesting one, right? Because that is like you do have like identity things and people, but usually people are in more than one Discord. Like I don't know how many Discords you're in. I'm in a lot. I actually have multiple accounts. Well, yeah, I I think actually, yeah, Discord is a very considering discord as social media which i think it kind of is i think it in, is in a way yeah yeah um it's just not actually, indexable yeah it, that does appeal to me as a model because like i i'm in discords for like fandom groups i'm also in discords with just like groups of my friends uh creating yep. Like recreating path, a, a small social network that is just like a group of friends from like this location or a group of friends who are uh, doing a little writers group, things like that. Um, and then there's also, as everyone knows, like th there's a Really FM Discord. Hey, and if you have Really FM membership, you can join. Um, that is people who are like fans of a podcast network or people who are all playing the same game or, um, yeah, p um, TikTok has a, a, a discord for people who build filters that is a great resource for like troubleshooting and like they do creative challenges and things like that so and discord of course has the nitro option where you can pay for it and you get cool features like custom emojis so but it is not it's not a broadcasting social or the broadcasting that happens in discord happens through discord to other platforms like right. say twitch exactly which well, is where and, and i think I, it is different yep also i think one of the big differences with discord is that um i mean because in this way discord is is 
it's funny. People always describe like Slack as just like, oh, Slack just recreated IRC. No, Discord actually recreated IRC. And, and yeah. IRC, for, for the, the, the uh, listeners out there who are under 30, uh, internet relay chat. And like it's us, still technology like that us. exists. Like, well, I was going to say, under 30. me as a 29-year-old <laughs> should not know this, but I am a student of, of uh, computing history. Um, I was at, never actually a big IRC user, to be honest, because the interface is so terrible. But, but, but it's basically just like a, a way to have kind of a, a c- consistent, coherent chat room. And then you have various channels where people have different topics, and then there are different servers and different things. And that's basically what Discord is. Um, uh, but, but whereas IRC, a kind of a more ephemeral thing, unless people maintain logs, like Discord, you have history and you have other stuff, plus the fact that you can use it on mobile and, um, you know, it supports um, actual, like, media mm-hmm. and not just text. But Discord, I think, is interesting because it's not, it, like IRC, it's not indexable. Like, if mm-hmm. stuff spreads outside of Discord, it's because people have shared screenshots. Um, but it's not like you can just, I can send a link to someone and be like, oh, go check out this link to this post inside Discord, right? Yep. yep. Like, it, so so it, it's not searchable. It's not like, which which in some ways, I think actually speaks well to this current kind of era we're at with social media where either we want to broadcast like one to many and maybe not have maybe you have the parasocial relationships but it's not having like you know it's like it's on my terms things or i want to be kind of anonymous um and 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 keep it you know to to the dms keep it to the the group chat yeah you know i don't want it all to be out on main which is what we were all doing you know when oh oh we, we were so when, we are so on main speaking of being on main uh so let's mm-hmm. wrap up that topic yep. uh yeah great piece please go read it in the verge um is discord I, our question to leave you with is is discord the future of social media <laughs> can discord save good. social media let's check in uh in our little uh break here to see yep. if we still have our blue checks yep i still have yep still got my yep you still check. got yours and let me check. I still have mine. Yep. Well, all right. And all right. Netflix India says, name an actor that would make a great vampire. Um, Why are you following right. Netflix India? Because of RRR. <laughs> Wait, did they follow me? They didn't follow me. I'm sure they didn't. No. No, they did not. I just followed them because I, well, and also because I do want to watch more Indian movies. Um, I don't just want to like be a fan of one Indian movie. Um, no, and I get that, but but don't they just tweet things for like people who live in India and are Netflix subscribers? Like I don't think it's like Netflix. Well, they just said name an actor who would make a great vampire. Do you think that that's region restricted, Christina? I don't know. Anyone I don't can know. name an actor that would make a great vampire. I mean, fair enough. I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm impressed with your commitment to RRR to like follow like a regional Twitter account. Um, that is probably very unuseful for for most of your uh, your Netflix needs. Yeah, me see, and see, one this is where it would have been great billion. if we had a, if, if if we had an ExpressVPN sponsorship right now. This is where this would have been it really, really good. would be. Um, okay, they're tweeting about this because of the Twilight Show. Okay, anyway, okay, oh, yeah. So okay, wow. Oh, speaking which, which, of Netflix, honestly, Netflix, the transition, Christina. <laughs> I was gonna say no. This is perfect. I was gonna say, although I am very upset that we're not talking about the the Twilight TV show. But no. Um, uh, speaking of Netflix, yeah. Wow. I, I did not mean to do this, and then we both realized it at the same time. Wow. DVD.com's final DVDs. 
will ship on September 29th of this year, the day after my birthday, Netflix announced this week. They said in their announcement, that was the weird part. They were like, the day after Simone's birthday, Simone DeRoche, yep, they were like host of the tech podcast Rocket on Relay FM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be ending our DVD rental service. <laughs> after 25 years and a brief jaunt as Quickster, the DVD mail rental service is shutting down. According to The Verge in their eulogy, uh, Blu-ray and DVD rentals and sales, not just from Netflix, but globally, are a $6.5 billion industry. Wow, big number, which is less than half of what it used to be five years ago. And digital entertainment is 10 times bigger. (laughs) I was going to say, and that I think is probably five years ago was probably less than half of what it was five years before that. And before that, like there was a time when um DVDs were a significant part of of box office and 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 film like long tail stuff like so it, it's it's funny to think about because this is like royalties <laughs> and, and actors royalties all kinds of things but but I think like like there were a number of like part of the the like um uh, writer strike in in 2007 2008 was some of it was was tied to um uh, home video um royalties and um they were starting to kind of, I think, get the idea about digital, but it was it was a little bit uh, preemptive to uh, a little bit before that. The current one is obviously going to be about is is largely about streaming royalties and other things. But like what happened was, um, and I don't know if this is interesting to anyone. Um, so uh, if this bores you, Simone, cut me off. But no, tell me. <laughs> okay, so the history of like home entertainment is sort of interesting because DVD was a watershed mark for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, the quality was significantly better than anything that you had before. So you went from, from, you know, even like Betamax tapes and whatnot, and then the format could hold a lot more. So it was kind of like the, the best parts of, of LaserDisc, but even more so on like this, this compact disc. But what happened with it is because the technology had advanced so much, they could also make the discs way faster and way more efficiently and way cheaper than what it costs to do VHS tapes. And so studios, in the the old days, like pre Netflix, uh, uh, pre anything, when it was just like Blockbuster and, and like local chains, used to have a thing where like they would only bring select titles to home video, where you could buy it to own it. But most of the titles that were available at the video store were things that were like ninety dollars a piece if you could get it, and and it was video stores that had it because it was expensive to make these, um, you know, tapes. With DVD, they were able to go direct to consumer, and mm-hmm. so um, that. That's what kind of created the end for Blockbuster, ironically, even more than the Netflix, because um, Netflix was able to then come in and they were like, the original idea was they wanted to deliver movies over the internet um, in the way that they do now. But but it, the technology wasn't there to be able to stream movies over the internet. Um, so said, okay, well, this brand new DVD thing is out. We now have all of a sudden, all these titles are hitting retail stores and are hitting consumers and people can buy them and build their own movie collections. What if we allow people to pick their movies online and then we'll mail them to them and then they can keep them for however long they want. We'll charge them a monthly fee. And then as soon as they mail us one back, we'll send them out another one and we'll just keep it going. Mm-hmm. Like what, what if mm-hmm. we do this? But that was only possible because the studios had decided to start going direct to consumer and then also use the technology to release these back catalogs of things that had never been available on home video before. So you have this influx of just this mammoth content that had never been available otherwise that now people could buy and enjoy. And so it lifted up the the long tail of the studio stuff. Like it gave them 
these absolutely unexpected profits. So mm-hmm. a movie like The Matrix comes out and it does several hundred million at the box office, which for that era is stupendous. But then the home video revenue is like half of that. And that mm-hmm. wasn't ever brought into what they were expecting it to be in their projections. And then it got to the point where in some cases people would expect, okay, we're going to gross as much in home video as we did domestically, maybe not internationally, mm-hmm. um, but, but, but as we did domestically. And so it was this huge burgeoning industry that was just, you know, it collapsed in, in, in 2008, 2009. Um, it has continued to collapse, but it was this, this mammoth thing. And Netflix as a company really rode that wave, two waves. One, the wave of, of DVDs and, and direct-to-consumer, and, and two, the dot-com um, yeah. era of just being able to be back when you didn't need to have a, you know, you, you could raise money from investors and anything. You didn't necessarily need to be profitable. And you had now all these people who are interested in this technology. The internet is is mainstream, um, but yet uh, broadband isn't 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 there. So like you still need these physical discs, and um, that's uh, Netflix on DVD. You know, was was a beautiful thing for a really long time. Sorry for that digression. No, that was yeah. You've raised a, a memory for me from the depths, which is that feeling of like logging into the Netflix website back in God knows what year and Mm -hmm. just searching and seeing what they had and the the sheer variety, as you pointed out, because they're bringing all these like titles that you you and for me in Port Townsend, Washington, going to Vasu video, they don't they might not have all this like scarecrow older, much older movies, uh, like complete variety and that magical feeling of searching and being like oh my god they have this let's add it to the queue and <laughs> managing the queue and similarly i think when when they introduced streaming it was a similar feeling of searching it up and being like yes. oh my god with my friends we could watch this right now that's totally nuts. because that had for me not happened before there's no, a great that hadn't. Uh, yeah excerpt in the the verge piece i just want to read this paragraph quickly um when netflix first launched the fact that you could log in slide a movie to the top of your queue and that movie would appear on your doorstep a couple of days later felt like magic it belongs in the history books with gmail's seemingly infinite storage amazon's two-day shipping and the first time you pressed a button in the uber app and a car appeared it was a moment when technology made an everyday thing suddenly and forever better um, and that I that just stuck out to me so much because it's true, like all of those things. And uh, two of these services are ones that I don't use because I have problems with them, Amazon and Uber. But it is true. Those are things that like within my lifetime, I remember that moment when something became so much more convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that they change things forever for the better considering i guess the way that i mean we're seeing even companies like netflix now in the age of competitive streaming struggle to to maintain their hold and the sort of segmentification that's not a word uh, of all of these platforms is making it paradoxically harder to find the thing that you see that you want to watch wherever you want to watch them but totally. it was a, a magical moment. And as it you was. pointed out, the perfect time for that the to happen. The perfect time. Like, like the time couldn't have been more perfect. And it was one of those things. And, and the reason I was thinking about this, I was I got into 
somebody was wrong on the internet was a long story short of it. Somebody uh-huh. on Hacker News, somebody on Hacker News was like, oh, well, Blockbuster, you know, Netflix, you know, um, had to pay extra money for their DVDs and other things because there are rental, co- there are rental licenses. And I'm like, first of all, first sale doctrine is a thing. That's not how that works. So second of all, like, no, what, what was remarkable about the DVD era was that the studios went direct to consumer and Netflix in its early days was very much a partner with the studios on that. Cause they, they were like, mm-hmm. okay, well, if somebody's going to pay $10 a month plus for a rental subscription, that's not competing with us versus are they going to buy you know, this, this, this DVD mm-hmm. themselves, especially if it takes them a couple of days to, to get it to their door, right? Like if you want to see something tonight, like, and I can go buy it or I have to wait for it, you're just going to go buy it. Um, Red, Redbox was different, but, but Netflix, yeah, that was the serendipitous moment of just having access to every movie you could ever want. And the selection used to be really, really good. It's gotten bad over the last 10 years or so, unsurprisingly, as they lost mm. interest, but it used to be, yeah. Like they used to have warehouses full of like they would keep really old stuff and and then they, yeah. you know, had to had to call. And it was always really fantastic because, you know, I'm somebody who I've shocker, I've been um a movie fan my entire life and have been like a a, a film historian the fan film my entire life. Girl. I, I I am. But but like as a little kid, like I would go to the video store and talk with the people who worked there. And we had like a local video store and they had a really, really big it was like a two story store. It was a really big store. Um, and, and they had old stuff and like, I would, you know, find things that I, that I would not be able to find. And even like in college, like, and Netflix was a thing then, but there were certain things that even Netflix wouldn't carry. And like there's video Rama, um, or not sorry, video Rama, uh, uh, video in, in, um, in Atlanta, like was one mm-hmm. of the few places for certain foreign films or for certain really like rare out of print things you could get. But yeah. Netflix, even then like was, was better than most. And so the way it was this magical thing, like, Oh, I've never been able to watch this, like, you know, like, uh, you know, um, neo noir film, you know, from like French new wave or whatever, like like Netflix has it and I can get it to my door and I can watch it on my computer or, you know, on, on the TV in my dorm room. And like, yeah. Um, man, well, and, it makes sense and, that the service. Oh, sorry. It does on. make sense. I was say, and they had really good recommendations. That was the thing too. Is that they used to have um, like this contest it ended for reasons I'm not going to get into, but uh, where they tried to improve their algorithm and, and make it really good at recommending things. Because the idea of the queue was oh. it could, you'd add things to your queue, but then they would also be like, "Would you like this?" And like if your queue ran oh, out, God, like, you could have an that. option where they could just they could just send you things and they were really good. Like their suggestions yeah. were on point. Like, wow. Precursor so to the, uh, if you liked this, you'll like, you like this on their, well, on the websites. 100%. Um, it was better. It was better we than gotta that though. Wrap this bad boy yes. up. I was um, going to say, do you have any final memories of Netflix or anything that you want to pour one out for? I see people getting mad about this and that I don't understand. It's, it's no, like, it, no one's it, used this. this. This needed to die. Like, yeah, I still support. It, I still support physical media. I still buy physical media, but this this needed to die. This does not need to exist. Yeah, go log into the Criterion Collection and buy some DVDs. Um, exactly. Yeah, obviously, like it's something that's f- I feel happy to eulogize and like to totally. reflect on and remember. But there's a reason it's going away, and I think that's okay. Like things things change, and this is one of those things where I'm not like, oh, this is a sign of how. Everything is going wrong. No, like uh, there are like beautiful DVDs that like DVD releases that you can purchase. Like Criterion is like re-releasing if you care about physical yep. media. Um, I don't totally. Think- 
this the, the is whole, the whole that- steel. No, the whole steel box movement. It's interesting. I, I, and I have to run the, I should ask ChatGPT. I wonder what is a bigger market right now, the, the DVD, Blu-ray market or vinyl records? Because um, they both kind of become the same thing. We're the only people who mm. care about physical media are collectors. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's check in really quick, Christina, on our yep. uh, blue checks. Oh, I still got it. I still got mine too. Blaze it up. The lawyer who is bringing a $5 billion class action lawsuit against celebrities like Tom Brady and Shaq for promoting FTX says Taylor Swift is the only celebrity to do due diligence on the company. Moskowitz claims that from Taylor's well-educated lips, the very words, can you tell me that these are not unregistered securities, did fall. (laughs) Uh, this piece is in the block.co. Um, mm-hmm. obviously, okay, Christina, we, we talked about this a bit briefly. What, what do you think of the claim that Taylor Swift, our own first lady of rockets yep. was the only celebrity to ask whether, uh, promoting FTX would be like promoting unregistered securities. What do you think of this claim that she was the one, um, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit suspect on this, to be completely honest. I love Taylor. I love Taylor so much. I will say it is possible that someone from Taylor's team could have reasonably had that question. The only reason I say it, give this an out is her father was, I think, a pretty high-ranking executive at Merrill Lynch for many, many years. He quit his investment banking job, basically, when she became famous. Um, I think her mom was, worked there, too. It's It's not so so she has people in her corner who would be much more attuned to things like is this an unregulated security than maybe other celebrities who like their business managers are like sounds like a good deal to me take the money um that said this claim i love taylor so much i don't believe this <laughs> i don't believe you don't this at think all. that she sat across a table from sam no. bankman fried and fixed her steely blue gaze on him Lean forward slightly, her her perfectly manicured nails resting on the lacquered surface of the table and said, can you tell me that these are not unregistered? You don't think that this happened? No, not even remotely. Not even remotely. You don't think that Adam Moskowitz maybe has a dog in this fight? (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, he's he's so incredibly... I mean, because it's so, so listeners, he's he's leading. Um, I, you might have said this, but like he is like the, one of the lead plaintiffs attorneys. Like he's trying to sue all the celebrities who endorsed FTX and trying to get them to pay for people's damages, which I'm sorry. We've talked about this before. I think you can criticize them for doing that. They didn't do anything wrong. It, they, in mm-hmm. fact, like they were all very upfront by the fact that they were like spokespeople for FTX. They were being paid to do it. Like, mm-hmm. if we want to be critical of, of, and it's of that, different that's from, fine, like, but it's the not other illegal. case. Yes, where it's different from it the was, other case. Yeah, with promotion where, where that was not to, disclosed. It, it was not disclosed, and they're trying to get people pumping and dumping into other stuff. No, in this case, it's like, if you're in a commercial for FTX and you're an A-list actor, I'm sorry, but if you were, if you're, you know, cognizant of watching television and, like, doing these things, you know that there was a transaction that happened there, that this person was mm-hmm. paid to say this like that, that that's 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 just a known thing so i'm not a fan of these lawsuits like i think that it, it, it's you know he's a lawyer he's gonna do a class action so he can make as much money as possible there had been reporting we talked about it on rocket that she turned it down i think at the time my thing i was like really glad she turned it down 
And I will say, yeah, I think I, we covered it on this show that yeah. she had been approached and dodged yes. a bullet. And yeah. dodged a bullet, right. And I'm going to be honest, I think I might have even said it back then, but like, I was predicting and I was, I mean, I was pretty scared that she was going to get into NFTs because- Oh, yeah. I, I was really worried about that because I was, it was like, a risk. then I'm going to wind up buying an NFT. But the thing is, because here's the thing about Taylor, Taylor loves mm-hmm. money. She loves money yes. more than anything. Like she freaking loves money. And that is not a, I am not at all criticizing that. I'm just saying this is a factual thing. Like the girl loves the coin and, and she's an amazing artist, amazing everything, but she loves the coin. So my whole thing was that she, I, I'd assume from like what the other reporting had been is that like, I think they wanted to be like maybe a tour sponsor or something else. And like my thought, I was like, oh, maybe like the deal just didn't work out. Maybe they weren't willing to pay up front what she needed um, we also talked about that last time. I was like, oh, thank God that that wasn't part of the Eras tour because that would have been a disaster. But Ugh. like, she, I, I do believe that she could have looked at, crypt, at crypto and been like, I don't know if I want to be associated with this because this this feels kind of kind of skeezy and and I I you know that this seems like this yeah could be a repu- I think the ultimate reputational risk this, right yeah should be that these celebrities while probably not legally responsible for. Uh, the promotion of unregistered securities should be that you should have someone on your team who is like, cause I, I do not, I believe that fully that most celebrities are not incredibly online people and no. are not like, they I mean, this be. is I, t- to go onto a completely different tangent. This Please. is why when I find out that X male celebrity is following Andrew Tate on Instagram, it's to me not a red flag so much as a like, Agreed. Oh, you got served a random TikTok about like the grind set. Right. And you followed him. You did not. I know. I know fully that you did not listen to his every podcast appearance. Not at all. And find not out. This all. is before he was in the news for all the sex trafficking, right, exactly. by the way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I do think that like as a celebrity, a person who is doing better things with your time than reading about NFTs and cryptocurrency online like we do. You got to have someone on your team like Taylor does, who is nudging you under the table and saying, Taylor, <laughs> ask him if these are unregistered security. Securities. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. If, if that's why it came down, I, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I, I Again, like I said, I could find it plausible that someone on her team might have had that information. I'm going to be honest. I don't feel like that if that is why the deal broke down. I feel like the, yeah, the yeah. deal broke there down. There are probably other reasons. No, no. I, I, feel, I feel confident, and this is just my opinion. I have no proof of this, but like I feel confident that it either the money wasn't there or she was not worried about the like unregistered security aspect, but just like the, the, you know, um, unseemly nature of crypto in general. I mean, like, you know yeah, what? The reputation it has. The, 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 Repu- that, that, and think, she's someone who knows about reputation. I was Am going I right? to say, I, she is, she is. I was just going to say, cause like, you know, she has, she's had credit card sponsorships for years. You know, she's with Capital One now, but she used to be with American Express. Mm-hmm. I, I, I much preferred the American Express um, Taylor era. Yes, um, I know because you keep having to get my Capital One credit card I, I information do. so that you can do. buy Taylor Swift. So I can tickets. buy tickets <laughs> precisely. Thank you very much. Between the two of us, we're covered. You're welcome. Um, yeah, and maybe she'll go to City next time. I have a City card, so you know if that happens, then then I'll I'll, I'll pay it forward, Simone. But no, yeah, but I think I think though this is just it is hilarious. Um, ben McKenzie uh, was on Bill Maher last week, and he was promoting his upcoming book with. Um, uh, Jacob Silverman um, about um, the crypto bubble and hype and whatnot. And uh, yeah. Ben McKenzie, you know, who's an actor who that's what he did during pandemic. He got really into crypto and he got really into like 
debunking all of it. And like, he's been very loud and very like adamant on Twitter and on other things being like, this is a Ponzi scheme and this is terrible and this is scams and whatnot. And so he was talking about that stuff with Bill Maher and he mentioned the unregistered security aspect of it. Um, It's funny. He actually used those exact words. And um, so I feel like, um, I don't know, maybe Ben McKenzie was advising Taylor Swift, but I feel like he's like, but he's like the only celebrity who I've seen who's been online enough to actually know to ask those questions. And look, again, nothing to disrespect him or his career because he's been a very successful television actor, but he's not the level of someone who I would expect to be approached for like a Super Bowl ad, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like I love and you, Ryan pandemic Atwood. I love you, Detective probably Gordon. gave him a lot of time. Oh, the pandemic totally gave him <laughs> I time. I do like this just... conspiracy that you've introduced, though, where Taylor yes. Swift, who grew up probably as an OC girly. Oh, you know she's she our was. age. She's you know age. that she, she loved the OC. His, yeah, his number and was like, Ben, tell me everything you know about FTX because I've totally that's definitely what happened. And he told that's totally what happened to ask about the unregistered securities because he had done all this research during the pandemic. He had done all this research or, you know, maybe she followed him on Twitter and she'd been reading some of his crypto stuff and she like texted him and was like, Ben, I've got a meeting with these FTX people. What do you think I should what do you think I should do? I know that you have opinions on crypto and Ben's like, Taylor, Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm glad that that you know we're such good friends. Um, you need to ask them very specifically whether or not this is an unregistered security because their answer to that question will, will determine whether or not you should do this business relationship. Because if they can't give you that answer, then then you need to protect yourself and your brand and your reputation, but dump bump and and not go through. And with she it. laughs at that point. And, and she says, laughs at that point. She's you know open. me so well. You know me so well. I've loved you since you were Ryan Atwood. You're just the best. And he was like, anytime, Tay. And and that and that's what happened. That's what happened. It's interesting that no one is reporting on this. I have one final <laughs> thought on this, uh, which is, aside from the Taylor Swift angle, which is obviously perfect for our show, there yes. is kind of a, a slapstick coda to this about how they could not find a shack to serve him the lawsuit and they initially and they spent months like trying to track down Shaq and like approach the sheriff's office where I think he's a deputy yep. and the sh- they deposited the $50 but they still couldn't serve him the lawsuit um so i i rec- i'll the stories in the show notes Obviously, listen to our show for the discussion of Taylor Swift. Read it for these slapstick attempts to serve Shaq with a lawsuit. Yes, um, I totally he's, of agree. Course, that a was DJ fantastic. Now as well. So it seems like you could find him at one of his DJ shows where he's DJing. Here's what I don't get. Like, Jason Sudeikis is able to get a process server to serve Olivia Wilde while she's on stage. At mm-hmm. CinemaCon. Now, now to be clear, I have also been, I've, I, it's not hard to break into CinemaCon. I think I've told the story before, but I had people break into CinemaCon when I gave a keynote there, but it was not on the big stage. It, there were people who had stalked me from the plane I was on, found out oh. what hotel I was in, went in, were not attendees of the conference, but they just went into Caesars Palace, found the ballroom, and then tried to pitch me their Snapchat clone. Um, so, so Ugh. I know that, the, so I know CinemaCon doesn't have like the greatest security, but still to get close enough where you can approach like, an A-list actress as she's on stage at this massive convention and serve her like mm-hmm. um, Moskowitz. Like you need to get, get those guys. Jason, you need to get those people to be your process server because they will track Shaq down for you. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Again, it's about it's about who you know. Mm-hmm. Is the thing. 
in your team to ask about unregistered securities on your legal you know in your in your legal situation to serve your papers christina also, how hard is how hard is it to serve shack he's seven feet tall that was like, the thing how- they were like he's so big we can't find him <laughs> christina what are you up to this week um, I am, uh, I'm doing some, uh, some cool stuff, uh, for work. So you'll see some videos, um, about that, um, in the coming weeks. Um, I'm, I'm even going to get, uh, on a, on a future episode of the download, I'm going to give a little bit of a tease. My boss, uh, Thomas Domke, the CEO of GitHub is, uh, is going to appear, which is great. Um, also, Fun. uh, uh, I am going to be, I'm one of the hosts for Microsoft build this year. And so if you are a software developer and you are in the Seattle area, um, it's uh, May 23rd through 25th, I want to say, um, uh, we're going to be in person and online this year. So, you know, join us, register, um, uh, or, or tune in. Also, if you see me, uh, in, in real life, rocket rules apply. Uh, so, so come to build and, uh, I'm, I guess For new I'm, I'm listeners, trying to figure, what are the rocket rules? Rocket rules means that if you see one of us out in person, we will buy you a drink. It used to be if you were wearing a rocket shirt, buy you a drink. We do have rocket shirts again, but um, that, that's been a relatively new thing. So uh, I think that uh, because yeah. we didn't have them for so long, like if you see us and let us know you're a rocket listener, we will buy you a drink. That, that's how it works. And you can um, find shirts if you want them at rocket-merch.com. Yes. But yes, see Christina drink from Christina. Exactly. And it doesn't um, have to be alcoholic. It can be, you know, like yeah. a, a nice mocktail or, or whatever else you want. Exactly. I uh, I shot a video this week, so I'll be working Ooh. on that. It'll come out next week. Um, and other than that, I'm just sewing like a maniac because I'm going to the Bridgerton experience next week and I'm <gasps> making a dress. Oh, my God. That's, I like I this. Know. It's exciting. Um, so, yeah, not not a lot of work stuff. I mean, a lot of work stuff going on, but nothing that you can tune into. But you can, of course, uh, subscribe to Polygon on YouTube to watch that video when it comes out. Christina, where can people find you online? So you can find me online at film underscore girl on Twitter, which still as of this recording, I have a blue check. You can also find me on Mastodon where I've been a lot more. Um, I, I post to both, but and, and I cross post at least until, well, we'll see what happens with the API stuff. But um, yeah. and, and if, if my own self-hosted thing can suffice or not, but, uh, but I'm, I'm on Mastodon more and more at film underscore girl at, uh, Mastodon.social rocket is also on Mastodon. I think we've got to give the keys to, to Charles Tam, but it's like at rocket at relay dot social. I, I don't know. Um, but, but the rocket podcast is on Mastodon. Uh, we did get an account. Um, and, uh, I will get find- that link so I can put it in the show notes. Um, Thank you. that's smart. <laughs> yes. Uh, we should also see if we can get it updated on the show page, but anyway, um, also, um, what was going to say, oh, you can find my videos at work, uh, including the, the upcoming one where you'll be able to, to see my boss, uh, at a uh, youtube.com slash GitHub. And you can find me everywhere at Doom Quasar. Uh, my videos at youtube.com slash polygon, twitch.tv slash polygon, and TikTok uh, at polygon on TikTok. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of Rocket. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're a boostie and subscribe, you're about to hear Christina and I chat about the latest season of Succession, as well as the lawsuits against Fox News, which is Succession in its own special way. And otherwise, if you would like, I invite you to review the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That is a wonderful way, or Spotify even, that helps people find the show um, and is good for uh, our continued existence. Thank you so much to 
everyone who has done that. Thanks for listening. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>